The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it includes this practice of generosity, uh, of offering freely what you have to offer. Uh, it includes the practice of community. And so that's one thing that we're practicing today is being together in community. So it's actually been kind of a big week for our community, or a week or two. Um, I was on the East Coast uh, over MLK weekend teaching in uh, Massachusetts and heard the news that the Supreme Court decided to take up one of the um, cases around same-sex marriage, uh, finally. And there's been such tremendous progress uh, in some ways during this last year even. You know, we've gone from... uh, I remember how many states it was at the beginning of the year to like 30-some, so now... uh, 70% of Americans live in a state where uh, that is legal. But that's only one piece of the whole pie for all of us. You know, that's one one piece of our our becoming present, becoming visible, uh, being able to take our place as fully human and fully recognized with civil rights in our society. Uh, So still, uh, we can't, uh, we can still get fired from our jobs in 29 states in the country for being LGBT. Actually, 32 uh, if, if you account uh, around gender identity also. Uh, so that's a lot, right? In 29 or 32 states, someone can be like, you are LGBT, and I'm firing you because of that, and you have no legal recourse, period. That's it. That's completely legal, right? So there's still a lot of work to be done, and yet uh, even... Uh, that we were mentioned, at least in the State of the Union address, was also uh, some positive progress of becoming more present in society. Sometimes living in the Bay Area, you know, depending on how you have constructed your life, I think uh, you know, one can forget about such things, and it seems like, oh, everything is just fine now. You know, and then occasionally you hear some news item, but it's, it's good to, to remember this. I also have been heartened by progress that's been made, because uh, for myself, my coming up process, which of course is a lifetime thing, um, happened like 25 years ago. And uh, I'm talking to people now who are my age around that time, so young people who are in college, and it's really, for many of them, so different now. Uh, Like how many kids who go to college show up already out, you know, they came out in middle school and high school or something like that. Um, And this is not true in all places, but in many, many of the young people who I've talked to, it's just such a like, non-issue for them. Uh, and it's like, that's great. That's great. That's tremendous. Right? And yet that's not true for everyone, certainly. And it's not true for all of us. Uh, and there's something very powerful and healing, I think, about us being together in community and sort of taking our place. Because there's so many ways in which I think the conditioning of being LGBTQI has been for us to hide, you know, for us to uh, not be fully present. So in some ways, you could consider this practice day as a way of us practicing uh, being fully present, being fully present for ourselves, being fully embodied, which is something that also we have not always been able to do. and practicing that both sort of individually but also collectively together you know, is a very powerful thing. So I'll talk more about that as we do the, give the instructions. Um, and 
I just like to reflect for us as uh, LGBTQI people that uh, we all have kind of a running start on the spiritual path. So uh, we have an advantage because uh, there's one aspect of starting to be present and align with the truth, see what's actually true, that has to do with um, seeing things that otherwise you would block out. You know? So uh, just an example, you know, in our, in our practice of, of presence, there's here's, you could say, is all of the different things that go through our body and mind uh, system, you know, all of the different thoughts and feelings and body sensations. And for many people, there's some things that are okay. It's like, oh, I could be present with that. I can see that. And then there's a lot of things that are difficult for us. And so then we live our lives kind of pushing away some of those things. I think this is true for everyone. So, for example, if physical pain comes up, you know, it's difficult for us to be with that, and so we push that away. So kind of to fold that corner out, right? Put on the blinders. Or it could be if certain feelings of sadness, uh, grief come up. You know, we have to push that away. It's difficult for us to hold that. And then depending on your conditioning, uh, you, you might get this conditioning that's like, oh, you shouldn't be angry. You know, it's not good to be angry. So then you have to push that away. Right? So you got that. Or it's like, oh, memories of childhood. I don't want to think about any of those. So anytime that comes up, you push that away. Or for many people, any sexual feelings. You know, sexual feelings in the body is uncomfortable. So then we push that away. Uh, so then, you know, you see what's going on here. It's like you get to live in this small, crunched up, weirdly shaped uh, <laughs> life where you're bouncing around here and you spend a lot, a lot of your time because they're putting on the blinders, you know, putting on the blinders to things that it's difficult for us to be with. So part of our practice is we develop a sense of presence, of awareness, if, when, as we increase our uh, stability of mind to be able to be with what's actually here. Uh, we get this back, you could say. We start to you know, be able to relax and unfold this and kind of live in the fullness of who we are. And in that also be able to see into the nature of what is our life, you know, who are we, what is true about uh, life and happiness and um, nature and all of this stuff, right? So the reason I say we get a running start is because for most LGBTQI people, uh, we have already dealt with one bit of information that probably was not fully embraced in every single aspect of your life. Uh, So your sexuality, gender identity, uh, and you know, it's not something that we were um, fully encouraged for most of us uh, to recognize. It's something that we had actually a lot of conditioning the other way, you know, conditioning telling us that that's not who you are or if that's who you think you are, it's wrong, etc. right? Um, so the fact that we're sitting in this room means that we have taken steps to courageously recognize what's actually true, regardless of what anyone else says or society says or... Uh, what the script seems to be, or what you saw in cartoon movies that did not reflect who you were. So, uh, so we've taken the first courageous step in uh, this unfolding and recognizing and actually living in the truth of who we are, which is a beautiful thing. You know, it's a beautiful thing um, both for ourselves individually and I think also for our whole society. It's a modeling of being honest. It's a modeling of being courageous. And it's a modeling of uh, the beautiful variety of life that is actually uh, the truth of our universe. And that's beyond anyone's idea of how you can uh, control that or or make that fit into a box in some way or another. So there's many different ways of conceiving of this um, practice that we'll be doing today, you know, the the Dharma practice. 
Um, but one way of considering it is just uh, trying to relax and rest in the truth, you know, see what's actually true. Uh, to steady the mind, to steady the awareness, to develop the sense of collectedness, um, and then to be present with whatever arises. And then in that we can see what's actually um, going on in a better way. So, um, in this practice, the orientation that we have is towards being aware, but also being relaxed. So, uh, there's a quote that's about uh, that's from a Tibetan teacher that's about you know meditation being completely natural that I really like. You know, like it, sh- it shouldn't be some s- uh, specialized sort of stultified uh, occasion filled with unnecessary solemnity and unnecessary uh, pomp and circumstance. Um, because what we're actually going to be doing today is engaging in very common and simple human activities of sitting and breathing, of walking back and forth. You know, uh, and then just seeing what's there. So it's actually, in some ways, nothing special. Although in other ways, the presence that we bring to it can make that, even the simplest of activities, a sacred way of living. So what we'll do today is we'll spend the morning, we'll do some sitting practice, and then some walking meditation practice, and then um, sitting practice. Some time for some questions, if people have questions. Uh, I'll give some instructions also about the eating meditation practice, also known as lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll, do, we'll have a lunchtime maybe between 12.30 and 1.30-ish or so, something like that. And during that time, um, you could choose to eat quietly here or if you want to go out, you can go out. Um, in the afternoon, we'll do uh, some more practice, including some uh, heart practice, metta practice, so loving kindness a bit. Um, some more walking practice. And there will also be time for those who are uh, interested in being part of the ongoing uh, series here to uh, talk about that and do a little bit of organizing and so on. So that's the general plan for the day. Um, and yeah, I'll give you some Dharma instructions along the way. Um, I'll have certain times for questions, but by and large, we can sort of keep ourselves together in silence, which can be also a beautiful way to be. But if anyone's having a hard time with something, even if it's not officially the time to talk, you know, you can come and talk to me. I'm happy to try and help you. So uh, I live in San Francisco and I teach uh, Dharma meditation. I'm in the Spirit Rock Teachers Council um, and also have a Dharma group uh, in San Francisco weekly group, Monday Night Dharma, um, which you're all welcome to come to also. Uh, And um, yeah, it feels like a bit of a calling for me. You know, it's like uh, I started out doing this practice 25 years ago. Uh, and my own uh, entrance into the practice coincided very much with my coming out, too. So for me, it was very much a, a, this unfolding. Uh, so around the time I started questioning, like, oh, I wonder if this is true about myself. You know, then I went on my first retreat. And it was actually a 10-day retreat. And it's, it's a very courageous act to just sit and be present with whatever arises. So in that container of this 10-day retreat, it became abundantly clear that this was in fact true. You know, uh, so that was the first starting to face face the truth and, and actually liberation. You know, and I think many of you have probably experienced this in those uh, those turning points of our life when we face something that's true that we didn't even realize it took a lot of energy to suppress. There's actually a lot of energy freed up. So I remember in that time being you know it being very joyful uh, time. You know, also somewhat scary, and then of course, everyone did not 
relate to that information with as much enthusiasm as I did. But you know, uh, still there was there's something really good about sort of aligning with the truth. You know, aligning with the truth and then being able to be who you are fully. Uh, that's extremely powerful. And uh, I think the process of continuing to do that is part of our evolution as human beings. You know, it's part of our um, our spiritual life, but our, our life of becoming whole, you know, becoming complete in some ways. So this wholeness and completeness has an uh, aspect of it that is uh, integrity. You know, integrity means like wholeness. And this is also an important aspect of the Dharma path, of the Buddhist path. So also for our day together, um, I'll share with you what the general training, training precepts are that uh, in Buddhist practice uh, we take up. And uh, you could consider them as ways that we might want to try to be together today. So there's five of them that are traditionally uh, given for lay people. The first one is around um, recognizing the ways in which we might harm each other and to undertake the training to refrain from harming. And very specifically undertaking the training to refrain from uh, killing. But then along those lines also to refrain from uh, harming each other, from noticing if there's a sense of aggression or hostility that arises and to try to uh, not act out or speak in those ways. Second one would be around uh, taking up the training to refrain from taking what is not freely offered. So this is noticing when something arises in us that's uh, acquisitiveness or uh, greed or uh, craving and uh, noticing how that might impact others, noticing how that impacts ourselves and others and refraining from taking what's not freely offered. So in this way, we actually create a sense of safety, even with just those two, right? If we're all practicing with that, then it creates a sense of physical safety for others and then a sense of like, oh, trust, you can relax. You don't have to be like, where's my stuff? Is anyone going to... So the creating this sense of, of safety and comfort. Similarly, the third one is around paying attention to the way in which we manifest our sexuality, our sexual energy uh, activity uh, with each other. And so not causing harm with that too. Uh, and you know, if people have more questions around that, we can talk about that more. But uh, it's really attending to the way in which this very powerful and natural and beautiful energy of being an animal, you know, a mammal, a human, arises. And it can be such an energy that can have healing, loving, positive impact on ourselves and others. And it can be energy that can have very negative, harmful, uh, yeah, like tragically abusive consequences for ourselves and others. So respecting this energy is not about suppressing it, but being with it, being present with that. Uh, and then noticing how that impacts, right? So also non-harming in that. Fourth one is around speech, so paying attention to the ways in which we communicate with each other verbally. Um, particularly the ones uh, around that are to avoid uh, saying what's not true, to avoid uh, abusive or harsh speech to each other, to avoid speech that harms each other through gossip, slander, uh, divisiveness, and then the fourth one uh, might be the most unusual for us in uh, America, for example, which is to avoid idle, idle unnecessary speech. <laughs> so it's like, only speak when necessary. Otherwise, leave the silence, let it be there. 
And then the fifth one is to attend to the way in which uh, we relate to intoxicants or drugs and alcohol, uh, paying attention to the effect on our mind and body. So undertaking the training to refrain from substances which will cloud our mind. Uh, and uh, for many people, this is also a very powerful practice to attend to both, you know, what is it that's causing me to want to uh, use drugs, alcohol, something else, right? And then also, what's the impact on myself and others? So in the Buddhist practice, this is not considered like some thou shalt not, this is bad, you are bad if you, you know, anything like that. But it really is like, pay attention. Pay attention to cause and effect. A lot of understanding the Dharma is noticing cause and effect. And noticing that directly through observing that in the world, that in my own life, you know, all of this. So for many people with their best intentions of following numbers one through four of the training precepts I've said so far. If you don't follow number five, that kind of all goes out the window. And then later, we'll do things that we regret. Or like, oh, why did I do that? Right. So just attending to that as well. So these are very powerful uh, points of attention for us uh, as human beings, as members of a community, um, and I think particularly as LGBTQI people, you know, for whom uh, things have not always been easy, uh, where people might not have always treated us in ways that align with these trainings. Right? So part of it is like, how do I want to create the world that I want to see? You know, how do I want to be with other people? Right? Uh, so learning to align and be present uh, as best we can. And as I mentioned, these are all trainings. So uh, it's like, okay, we become aware of that. We pay attention to cause and effect. We notice when we mess up, which could be very often. But just look at that as opportunities to learn and to grow. And then you know things from your own experience about, uh, rather than just someone else has told you that. And what a world would it be if people actually lived by this, you know? Like it would be a different world if there was uh, no killing or physically harming each other or actually if we took up the other positive side of that of protecting each other, right? Uh, If there was a world in which uh, people didn't take things uh, that did not belong to them or even in a world in which people didn't take more than they needed, you know? Like there's stunning levels of uh, income equality in our society now. I just read the article that said that um, at this point, 51% of public, st- or actually over half of public school students in the United States now uh, live under the poverty line. Yeah. Uh, and partly it's because those who are more wealthy, their kids are going to private schools, right? But stunning statistics, I think in California, like one in six people live under the poverty line, which is like $24,000 for a family of four, you know. So it's tragic in a very wealthy society that this is the case. So how how much of a different world would it be if we instead practiced generosity and sharing with each other? Or if we were able to relate to each other in a wholesome way with our sexuality? Uh, If people spoke to each other with kindness, if people didn't lie to each other, or lie to themselves... So we'll get the chance to practice this today. So when we start with a little practice then, 
Um, and uh, you can sit in any way that's comfortable for you, uh, but that also is a way that uh, is less likely for you to fall asleep. That would be the overall uh, guidelines. Right? And those of you who have been practicing for a while, you know, I'll give some instructions, but of course you could do your practice as you see fit, as, you, as seems appropriate. But a good place to start is always, you know, very simply to start with the body. So just feeling your body as you are sitting here. So this means just feeling your feet on the ground, feeling your connection with the chair or cushion. Allowing your attention to settle in, allowing the body to settle in after the journey that you've been on to come here today. And you can notice if there's any ways in which your body is holding tension as we begin. You can see if you can notice the muscles in your face, for example, your jaw or around the eyes. Just see if you can relax there. Sometimes on the out-breath is a good way to do that. Breathing in, and then as you breathe out, just let the tension relax. And then the shoulders also, neck. As you breathe out, just relax into being present. And then if it's helpful, you can give your attention somewhere to settle. In this practice, everything is fair game for attention. So sounds, we can notice hearing, can notice thinking, can notice emotion. But it can help to have some kind of base, a place to rest your attention. And that could be the body, 
or the sense of the body breathing. So you can just be with the breath wherever it's easiest to notice. It could be just feeling the whole body breathing or for some it's easier to connect in a particular area, the chest or the belly. Or the nostrils or the throat. Whoever helps you to be present and notice, but also to be relaxed. Some people find it helpful to use a technique of lightly labeling what it is that they're noticing. So this is just to help us recognize what we're aware of, what's happening in this moment. 
So for example, if you're being with the body breathing, you could just label very lightly in the mind, breathing in, breathing out, or in, out, as that's happening. So 95% of the attention is on that direct experience of feeling the body breathing. And then if you notice that the attention has gone to thinking or planning or remembering. So as soon as you're aware of that, you can also label that, like, oh, thinking, planning. Remembering. So you can notice that that has occurred and then gently bringing the attention back again. Rest with the breath, rest with the body. no problem how many times you find yourself thinking just recognize that can label it and then as that dissipates can rest again with the body with the breath developing awareness of all of these different experiences in the mind in the body in the heart
So noticing where the attention is. And just developing the stability of heart and mind through a gentle, patient practice.
but it's coming back again. Just resting very simply with the experience of being alive here, body breathing, If there's any kind of thoughts that seem to be repeating over and over again, and you've been trying to label them, notice them as thinking, planning, remembering. Oftentimes there's some energy of an emotion or some kind of fuel that's beneath that. So you can likewise notice if there's any particular emotion going on and feel what that's like in the heart, in the body. You can use this labeling of sadness, anger, happiness, joy. And rather than thinking about the story behind that feeling, allow your attention to drop in, know that directly. Know directly what that energy feels like. If it's heat, if it's tingling, expanding, contracting. So just developing this kind of intimacy of listening, of being with experience. 
whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, difficult, easy, just doing our best to recognize with awareness.
So in the last few minutes of our practice together, you might check in and see how you're relating to whatever it is that's arising. So is there a sense of resistance? Is there a sense of pushing away? How much present are we? Is there a way in which we're halfway present, halfway not really committed? Is there a sense of kindness or even love towards whatever it is that arises? Or is there a sense of irritation or cold clinical distance? So just noticing a little bit about how we're relating to even the experience of breath or the movements of mind, sounds.
So in a little while you hear the sound of the bell, which will mark the end of our sitting period. And if you like, you can shift your attention to hearing. So just bring the attention to the sound of the bell as it arises, as it rings out, and as it fades away. And while you're doing that, if you notice that your attention goes to something else, just gently notice that, bring it back again. You can keep the attention with that until all the ringing is gone, so you can't hear any more bell sound at all. And then you can open your eyes and we'll return to the group. So for those who are new, at the end of the um, sitting, you might notice people doing something like this, and it's a totally optional gesture, but it's kind of a sign of um, appreciation and respect, I would say. So appreciation of all of us sitting quietly together, which is actually kind of an unusual thing for a group of human beings to do. Sitting quietly, not bugging each other. Uh, and then also uh, actually a recognition of all of our potential for awakening, for developing wisdom and uh, liberation. So if you want to do that, you can, but you don't have to.